If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. I'm going to introduce you to Bob Edwards today. Bob's a master saddler, harness maker, harness competitor, harness judge, coach and coach educator. How are you today, Bob? Um, well, thanks, Glennis, and yourself? Oh, very well. But we're going to start off by asking a favourite quote. It could be a favourite quote that you use all the time when you're thinking about training and keeping your own horses, or it could be a quote that you use to teach people and to give them a bit of feedback on their judging. So can you tell us your favourite quote, please? Yeah, if you find yourself in a hole, first thing to do is stop digging. <laughs> okay, that's good, good. Now, can you tell me also when you've used it and what it's been in relation to? Well, if you're doing something, if you're training your horse and it's not working, the, the method you're using is not working, it's a good thing if you stop and okay. uh, revert to something else, I think. Okay, that's probably a good thing to say. Well, thinking about, now I know that you were a, a master saddler and then someone asked you to make some harness. Did you have anything to do with horses before that to become a saddler? What made you become a saddler? What was your involvement with horses before then? Well, I'd, I'd had a little bit of involvement as a kid riding ponies and stuff. Nothing, you know, I didn't have pony club or that. I had mates and we lived on sort of where urban meets rural type area and there was horses around us and ponies and stuff but I couldn't say that I was that particularly interested in them but I had done a little bit of riding as a kid. How I got my apprenticeship is um, I was actually working at the uh, the bacon factory hanging hams and I come home from work my dad said to me look there's a job in the paper advertised for apprentice saddler. He said, you should go up and apply for it. And I remember saying to him, oh, well, that's a bit of a dead-end job. <laughs> anyway, I applied for it and I got it. And I worked for Garth for like eight years. I think I did my apprenticeship and worked for a few years longer. And during that time, he had cattle on a property at Mundubber and I, I did do some horse riding with him, uh, mustering cattle and stuff up there with him. And then in my early 20s, Bev and I started our own business, so Edward Saddlery and Harness, and uh, the horses then were sort of probably pretty much off the radar, you know. Okay. And so you would have come in contact, once you started your own saddlery, you would have come in contact with a lot of horse people. What are some of the things, coming from a non-horse person that you put yourself in the category, and then people come in and they've had horses, when someone asked you to make a harness, what were your first thoughts? Well, that's a really interesting question because 
a fellow come in, and I, I'd known Noel beforehand, but we weren't particularly friends. And he come in to to get me to make him a harness, and honestly, he says to me, "Well, you might know how to make this stuff, but you don't know a terrible lot about how it's used." So I said, "Well, you better teach me." Okay. So over the next short while, Noel taught me, taught me how to harness a horse, how to drive it, how to break one in, and. Uh, I then bought an old horse that he'd, he'd sold to somebody else that had broken in and got a sulky, and he suggested one time we go to the Toowoomba show. So off to the, the show we went, and I did reasonably well at the show, and uh, it become that it was sort of quite promotional for my business. So I then bought some good equipment, and I was more looking at it as promotion for the business than than uh, being involved in a in a sport, you know? Mm. So that's virtually how it started. Okay. Do you remember the time when you thought, well, there's a bit more in this, that you started to expand and you became more focused on the horses rather than just the business? Yeah, well, in 1981, they had the Australian Combined Driving Championships at Neville Lindley's property at Maribara. And somebody said to me, well, why don't you come along to these championships, see? So... At that time, I'd had a, a little pony and a sulky for my eldest son, and I had the, the old grey horse, and, and and we went to these championships. And I can remember when we got there, the first thing they said, "Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to do a dressage test," you know. And I thought to myself, "What? <laughs> a dressage test? What's that?" <laughs> so anyway, we got through that. But at that event, there was a fellow driving a team, a four-in-hand team. I remember thinking, or so I said to Bill, I said, I'd, I wouldn't mind having a go at that, you know. And uh, she said, well, if one horse costs so much money, what's four of them cost? <laughs> and a few years later, well, I was after going into pairs and that, I, I started to get a team together and uh, driving four in hand. So uh, that's virtually when the interest started to escalate, you know. Okay. Yep. From one horse to two horses to four horses. Uh, it sounds good. And tell me the difference yeah. then, because I've never gone more than one, but the difference between two and then four, how much more complex is it? Well, driving a single and driving a pair are nearly the same. You know, you've only got a pair of reins in your hand. Mm-hmm. When you get to four and hand, you, you end up with four reins in your hand and it's a whole different the horses are doing different things and and that sort of stuff you know it's four isn't two times two it's it's a lot more complicated than that you know quite challenging okay so if you were going to teach someone and they were able to do you know one in hand two in hand what are some of the things that you would teach what's the progress of teaching them to drive four in hand the first thing you've got to teach a rain skills. You know, with driving, the only contact you really have with the horse or horses are your reins. Unlike riding, you've got your seat and so on, so on. So the person's really got to learn their rain skills and they've got to learn to have constant contact with their horse or horses, you know. Well, you start that teaching them that with the single horse, you know. So the first basic thing is rain skills. Okay. Now, if someone's going to go on to be, because you know Boyd, don't you? You know Boyd Excel. Very well, yeah. When did you first meet Boyd and what 
sort of how was it when you first met him? At what stage of the ladder was he then? I first met Boyd and his brother Kent when they were just lads. They were only young fellows, and they used to go to the Sydney show with Max Pierce, and they they come to a few driving events. Uh, was the first I met him. I don't say that I had a fair a lot to do with him, but I, I I knew him through his teenage years. But the first time I really had close contact with Boyd was in. 1999 when he was in the UK and I'd, I'd been um, awarded the Churchill Fellowship to study collar making and harness and driving and I went to England and I made contact with Boyd and, and he helped me a lot over there and we become quite good friends after that, you know. Okay. So um, it was at Windsor at that time and, and I remember uh, when I went to Boyd's he had a, um, a team of Dutch harness horses and they were the most magnificent horses I'd ever seen in my life. You know, they were completely different to what we were using here in Australia, for sure. Um, and and we were a long way behind Europe, England, and we probably still are a long way behind. But I realised in that meeting and the help he gave me to meet some of the officials and learn about the sport that he had a fair bit of respect for his ability back in them days and he was just up and coming, you know. And he was very, very dedicated and very hard working and, and knew, you know, where he wanted to head to. Then when I got back here and Boyd used to come home around Christmas, the end of the year, to his family, I started organising clinics and that for him and the amount of stuff I learned off him is just... And I'm still learning off him, you know. He's just so brilliant. Okay, so you've known him, you know, when he was a teenager, and even though you didn't know him well, what sort of character traits did he have? You know, how did you know? You may not have known. You may have just thought that he was going to be um, just another just another harness driver, but what sort of character traits would you be looking for for someone to excel at his level? No, he always was very dedicated to his horses, like even in his days at the Sydney show, he'd, he'd always be working a horse or he wouldn't be just sitting around. He always had some activity going on, you know, very um, active and worked hard, you know. yeah. I, I can't say I took a lot of notice to what he was doing, but he certainly, thinking back on, he, he had a really good work ethic. There was no doubt about that, mm-hmm. even as a young fellow. And he was quite a, a young gentleman too, you know. He was a very nice young fellow as a young bloke, you know. Okay. Now, what about other people who've influenced you? Because you'd said about Noel, I think, first talked to you. What's Noel's last name? Leach. Noel Leach. Yeah, Noel, um, he was a pretty good horseman and... Uh, he, he had a lot of quarter horses and that. He, he liked that stuff and rodeos. He was fairly involved in, in that. He liked his, his rodeos and stuff. He was a good horseman, you know, and I learned a lot of stuff off him. As far as the driving goes, he he only really knew about, like, single horses and that. He, he didn't sort of enter into the team or pair stuff or anything like that. He certainly helped me a lot to get started. There's no doubt about that. It sounds like a great introduction, though. You know, he had the enthusiasm and maybe if he was a top trainer and was quite busy with teams of four and doing it professionally, he may not have had the time to just spend with you to show you the ropes in those early days. Yeah, that's possible, yeah. 
Yeah. I listened to uh, an interview you did with Guy Crichton, and something that I related to that he said was how in his early days you just watched everybody else and copied what they were doing. And, and a lot of us in, in the carriage driving with the teams and that, we did that. You know, there was people around like Mike Phil and Rod Ryan and Neville Lindley, they were all driving teams and we sort of watched each other and tried to steal ideas off each other and we were probably only learning each other's bad habits, you know. <laughs> so uh, that's the sort of thing it was in them in them days. It wasn't really people that you could go to and learn about the sport because the sport was in its infancy, you know. Mm. And early on, we wrecked that many old carriages. It's, it's not funny. Like, I think Rod Ryan was probably the first person to turn up with a purpose-built carriage, you know, and then we all sort of copied that, and they were pretty basic, like the carriages we've got today are just full of all sorts of technology, you know, they're nearly space age, Mm. if you want to put it that way. Tell us about a horse or horses, because you said about going from one horse and your wife said, well, you know, think of how expensive one horse is to four horses. What was your first horse, or what's a horse that's been a bit of a standout that's been able to help you in your career? Well, probably the standout horse has been a horse, Carrington Park Ajax. We called him Junior. And I had him from when he was a foal. And as a young horse, he was quite a difficult horse. But when he signed on, he just was just a horse you could do anything with except ride. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, you could put him in the lead of a team. You could put him on the wheel. You could put him in a coach. You could break in with him. I did scurries at Sydney and Brisbane and... Anyway, that horse ended up with Boyd Excel in his indoor team, and Boyd sort of rated him as one of the best indoor horses in the world, and he was in that team and won seven World Cups. And Boyd always said he was a horse he never had to talk to or he just knew his job and did it, you know? And, And he was like that too, yeah. Magnificent horse, yeah. That's an awesome record for you, though, you know, a horse that you had. You've prepared some other horses for Boyd, haven't you? Or you've helped him get other horses? How's that work? Yeah, well, I took a team of horses to the UK in 2006, and that was a plan that Boyd had hatched too. We were doing a clinic at Moonby, and at the end of the day, we were sitting at the motel, and Boyd Peter was with him, his wife, and, well, she wasn't his wife at the time, but she is now, but... They said, well, why don't you bring your team to England and go and try and qualify for the World Equestrian Games? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> Long story short, that's what we did. We, we took the horses to, to the UK. It was, you know, Boyd planned it all, and he said, well, when you're finished, we can sell these horses. And and that was the hardest part of it, I guess, parting with the horses. But at the end of the day, he, uh, through his brilliance as a trainer, as a coach and a horse trainer, he managed to get me to the World Equestrian Games in Arkin, you know. And the plan was for me to be a team member for him, but unfortunately about five weeks before the Games, he had a terrible quad bike accident and broke his leg in about seven places, I think it was. Mm. Mm. And he didn't actually get there, so, yeah. It's disappointing um, for him. And and Glenis really, like, it just... It was, and, and at that time I said to him, like he was pretty beat about, I said to him, do you think I should just pack up and go home, boy? He said, no way in the world, you know. Yeah. And uh, I can remember him propped up in the back of his car, yelling orders at me and do this and do that <laughs> in the rain and making sure that I was ready to go, you know. So uh, 
it, it was it was a great experience for me. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like you had expectations that you you were going to do well. You know, even before you left Australia. Yeah. Yeah. The the point too, Glennis, is about the opportunity. Yeah. The thing about opportunity is that when it comes along, you've got to grab it with both hands. And that, going to those games, wasn't going to be the last time that, that I was going to enter that arena, but it ended up being because of what happens in your life, you know, illness or one thing or another, you know. And uh, so I was 53 at the time, so... Uh, when you're sort of getting on in, in life, the opportunities don't come along as quickly. Yep. Is probably what I'm trying to say, yeah. Okay. All right. Was that your proudest moment? Yeah, I think the uh, driving into the dressage arena at Ark and to start that competition, and I was the first competitor too, which is a bit <laughs> dirty. But one thing that really sticks in my mind is how generous the crowd were and how supportive and uh, and that they were... And they they virtually give you confidence, you know, with their applause and and that sort of stuff. It was it was an eye opener to me, you know. So I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to think now, as a coach and coach educator, about a common problem that people have when they're driving. It could be a problem when people first start. It could be a problem that occurs a bit further down the track, but just a common problem that you see or you might have had with your own students that you can tell the listeners about and also how to fix it? A common problem, I guess, with beginners is not having the right gear, not fitting the gear properly. And really the way to fix that is to go and find out about what you need to enter the sport before you enter it. One of the common problems you see is people just go out and buy everybody else's rubbish to try and get started in the sport, you know. And one of the biggest problems, I think, and cause of accidents is the gear not being right. Your horse has got to be comfortable before you can do anything with him. And it's no good having crook gear. That's what I see the most of, I think. Okay. Oh, just let me interrupt you for a moment, just to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at Online Horse College. Have a look at the flexible options with online theory. The practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Now, Thinking about coaching then, because you teach a lot of people then who go on, so you're a coach educator teaching coaches, what's a common problem if someone's going from being a competitor to then going on and they want to become a coach? What's a common problem you see there that you can um, give people a bit of a tip for? Well, that's a difficult one, Glennis. <laughs> a problem going from driver to coach. Um I guess if you're going to go from a driver to a coach is, is to make sure what you're coaching has worked and it will work, you know. Yeah, don't don't try to, to teach people what you don't know yourself, I guess, is the, an important thing too, you know. I think that's a good one, actually, is don't try and teach people what you don't know yourself because sometimes people go out and it's no good if you don't know. There's no good bluffing. You've got to be open. You've got to be honest with your students about 
what you do know and when you need to refer them on then to higher quality coach or a, not a higher quality but a one that's more specialised in the area that you don't know. So that's, that's I think, is a very good tip. Yeah. Now, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for people today? Yeah, I'm not a, a big reader of books but a book that I use a lot and this is one thing I, I think coaches should know. Mm-hmm. They should know the Ark and Bark Method of Driving. Now, the, the book I'm referring to is The Principles of Driving, and it's the, the German National Equestrian Federation. And in this is a lot of basic stuff, how to harness a horse, how couplings work, bits on bits and, and that. And the classic driving, the Ark and Bark or Coachman Method of Driving. Now, a lot of people call it one-handed driving. There's no such a thing. It's where the reins are held in the left hand and the right hand is left to do all sorts of other things. But the right hand is always placed in front of the left and holds the reins and the whip. But if you're going to use your whip, you take your hand, your right hand away from the reins so you don't actually interfere with the horse's mouth while you're using the whip, you know. I think that's a good book. It's probably heavy read, but it is a good book. We've had a few people recommend the principles of riding before. So the principles of driving is a good compliment for people who want to specialise in that field. So that, that's a good one, good recommendation. There's plenty of driving methods, but this is a driving system. It's the only driving system in the world where they can say, you do this because of that. You, you adjust your reins and that does that. You do this so that gets you this result. That's what I like about this method of driving. It's the classic method of driving. You'd never be able to use this method driving obstacles or cones. You see some of the German drivers and that use it in the dressage, but the two-hander method of driving is usually the one that's used in the cross-country and the cones. So it's more a classical type of driving. But I think everybody should learn it because I find it helps you with the other methods of driving as well. From the little bit that I know of driving, Bob, it sounds sensible to me to learn to drive. If you're going to go from one horse to two horses, if you know how to drive one horse with one hand, then it's going to make the transition to two horses easier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, Bob, what are you looking forward to? What does your future hold? Well, Glennis, I don't even buy green bananas anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But in saying that, in October we had a clinic at Tamworth along with the FEI event, the one-star, two-star event, and we had a a junior clinic in cooperation with that, and there was a few instructions, myself, Elizabeth Lawrence, Jessica Meredith and Cody Marshall, and Boyd give the kids some lessons. And I was really amazed at how those kids soaked up that knowledge. And wherever I could, I'd like to help the sport move forward. Carriage driving in Australia is still pretty basic and it needs to catch up. I don't know how you do that, but I think the way you do that is just to try and impart your knowledge that you've got onto the younger people, you know, and hopefully they can move the sport forward. You see... The Olympic sports, the dressage and eventing and show jumping over the last few years, how they've 
just got better and better and more competitors and more competitors, you know, because I think a lot of it's got to do with, with coaching methods and, and people learning about the sport they're in, you know. I think we've got a lot to thank, you know, people like you who've gone overseas, got a lot of knowledge, been taught by the best of the world and then bringing it back and teaching people. I think that transition, it can't, you know, go doing it once isn't good enough. It's got to happen again and again and again and again. And, you know, the, the knowledge that you then give when you teach people is all helping to raise the standard. So you're well and truly on the right track for improving the standards so you're doing a great job. Glenn, it's one thing that, that carries driving in this country is very lucky for. They have access to the world champion, and not too many sports get that opportunity. And Boyd Axel is four times in a row world champion. He's probably, arguably, the best equestrian Australia's ever it's ever come out of Australia. And I don't think people in Australia in the driving scene really realise how lucky they are to be able to get a, and at least once, sometimes twice a year, they get that opportunity. I think they're very, very lucky and they need to look into it more and, and listen more to what what he's saying and, and what he's trying to do, you know? Mm. So, um, like I say, I don't know how many sports at a basic level that you, you get access to a world champion. Yes, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. Bob, can I get you to sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for listeners? Like I consider myself an amateur, and amateurs don't have a lot of time for their horses. They may have jobs or whatever. So if you're going to teach or train or teach your horse something, make sure you have the time to do it. So if you think, oh, I've got an hour, I'll go down and teach, that doesn't work. So if you've got an hour and you want to do something with your horse, just go down and give your horse some exercise or or whatever. But if you want to teach them something, you really need to have the time to do it. And sometimes you might, well, you won't go all day, but sometimes you might need all day. So you've got to think about what you're going to teach your horse and not think about, oh, I've got to be at work in an hour and a half, I've got an hour for my horse. That just doesn't work. You're better off not trying to teach them anything, I think. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I would say to people. Yes, when you're working within a timeline, it, it puts pressure on you and then I'm sure the horses can understand it. And and when you've got extra time up your sleeve, you can be a lot more relaxed and a lot more systematic in your training. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one thing about the leisure horse industry in Australia, so 90% of us are probably amateurs and it's very, very difficult to get the time you need to put into your horses but you've just got to be a little bit more patient and take a little bit more time to do what you want to do I think you know over a time period I mean you know instead of thinking you're going to do something in three months well it's going to take you 12 you know. Mm. Okay Bob how can people contact you? They can get me on the phone I'm not very good at text messages or they can get me on my email. Okay. And we can put those details on the website. That's our website at horsechats.com slash Bob Edwards. That's great today, Bob. And thanks very much for talking to us. been wonderful talking to you. I've really enjoyed, you know, the fact that you've just grabbed opportunity. You've, you know, been interested right from the start and you've put yourself out there right from the time when someone showed you how to, 
you know, if you asked you if you could make a harness for them, you weren't just happy enough to make the harness. You said, right, well, you know, show me how to use it. And you've kept following people's advice when Boyd came, said about bringing your horses over to the UK and, you know, working towards the world championships. You, you did. You grabbed the opportunity with both hands, put it out there. So from someone who didn't have much to do with horses and sort of rode a couple of ponies and a few stock horses to go and represent their country at the World Championships, I think it's been quite a journey for you, Bob, and it was good talking to you today about it. So thanks again. Thanks, Gladys. Thanks for, for inviting me. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Okay. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 